from here in the Holy Land. Welcome to the Nourish Your Biblical Roots podcast. I'm your host, Yael Eckstein, President and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. Each week, we'll explore the Jewish roots of your Christian faith and nourish those roots with inspirational insights and ancient teachings that are so relevant to our lives today. Let's get started. On today's podcast, we're going to look at one tiny word that can change everything in our lives. This one word can make the difference between a life of faith and a life of hopelessness, between a life of blessing and a life of feeling limited and stuck. In our Bible study today, we will explore the story of the 12 spies who were sent to scout out the promised land and how their report changed the destiny of the nation of Israel. I'm going to share some Jewish teachings and an ancient prayer that reveal how just one word made all of the difference. And we'll discover how thousands of years later, this word continues to define our lives today. Every week, Jews around the world read and study the same Torah portion known as the Parsha. This week's Parsha is called Shalach, which means to send, and it covers chapter 13 through 15 in the book of Numbers. The Parsha begins with God's command to send 12 spies to scout out the promised land. The verses that we're going to focus on today are from Numbers chapter 13, verses 27 to 29. They record the report that the spies gave when they returned from their 40-day mission. I'm going to read it to you. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and all along the Jordan. After the spies presented their report, the nation of Israel began to panic. The description of the land terrified them. Scripture tells us that the nation cried all night and decided that maybe they would be better off choosing a new leader and just going back to Egypt. As a result of this rebellion against God, the nation was punished and condemned to spending 40 years wandering in the desert, one year for every day that the spies scouted out the land. In that time, every adult male was destined to perish in the desert without ever stepping foot in the promised land. Ten of the twelve spies were held responsible for this great tragedy. Only two of them, Caleb and Joshua, did not participate in the bad report and did everything that they could to stop the Israelites from losing faith. However, when you think about it, the spies had only done what they had been commanded to do. Why should they be held accountable? Why should they be punished? Listen to what Moses directed them to do earlier on in verses 18 to 20. I'm going to read it for you. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? 
Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. Now, when I read that, I have to think to myself, isn't this exactly what the spies did? They even did as Moses asked and brought back fruit of the land. Why should the spies be condemned if they were only doing their jobs and following instruction? Rabbi Moses ben Maimon, known as Maimonides, was a famous Jewish philosopher and scholar who lived in Egypt during the 12th century. He gave a brilliant answer to this question, one that has an important message for all of us today. Maimonides explained that the spies went wrong with just one word, the word but. If we look back at what the spy said and eliminate that one word, the entire report reads very differently. Let's look at those verses again. The first thing the spy said was, we went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey and here's the fruit. Okay, so far so good. And here's where they went wrong. They followed up with, but the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. If the spies had not said this statement with, but we would be left with an objective observation that the people in the land are powerful and that the cities are large and fortified. In the next verse, the spies simply listed the nations that lived in the land and which part of the land they lived in. Had the spies left out the word, but they could not have been held responsible for the terrible way that the Israelites reacted to their report. And maybe had they left out that one word, things would have unfolded very differently. Maybe they would have been able to go into Israel. The word but transformed their objective statement into a subjective one, one which caused grief, confusion, and a lack of faith. The Hebrew word used in this verse, which means but, is the word ephes. It's not the only word in Hebrew that means but, or the most common one. But this particular word teaches us something important. This word that the Bible chose to use, ephes, has another meaning. Ephes not only means but, it also means zero. The rabbis explained that this teaches us about the power of the word but. It has the ability to turn everything positive into nothing at all. It can take all of the good and make it into zero. Absolutely nothing. Worthless. The fact that the promised land was flowing with milk and honey and abundance of fruit meant nothing to the children of Israel after the spies suggested that conquering the land would be difficult and dangerous. That one little word changed the entire meaning of their report and consequently the trajectory of the people's destiny. We have a lot to learn from the sin of the spies and the bad report that they brought about the land. We make the same mistake that they made all the time. We say things like, I got a new job, but it's really hard. And we delete the value of our new job and our gratitude to have one. Yes, we technically said it, but the second we said, but, we erased everything positive about that. Or we may say, my son gets good grades at school, but he's no good when it comes to sports. Or, my husband is a great cook, but he leaves a huge mess in the kitchen. 
And by doing this, we diminish the value of our loved ones, shifting our focus to their weaknesses instead of their strengths. That one little word can undo so many of our blessings. The other day, my daughter called me into her room in order to show me how she had cleaned it up. And she was so excited. She spent so much time cleaning her room without me even asking her directly. I had commented that morning that her room looked like a tornado hit it. Maybe you can relate. But she took it on herself in order to proactively make her room look all put together and nice. So she was proud to show me what she did. And the truth is, she did an amazing job. Mostly. I went into her room, I gave her a hug, and as I scanned her room, I noticed that she made the bed. The shoes were all neatly lined up against the wall. The center of the room was clear of the mountain of clothing that had been there earlier in the morning, and her clothes were actually folded and put away nicely. But then I noticed a small pile of clothing in the corner of the room next to the hamper instead of inside of the hamper. I started to tell my daughter what a great job she had done and express just how amazing she is that she took this on herself. And I was about to say, but your clothing should be in the hamper, when thankfully I stopped myself. I realized that after all the compliments I gave her, all the hugs I gave her, all the appreciation that I expressed, if I said that, it would undo all of the praise that I had given to my daughter and that she truly deserved. The only thing she would have heard is, but your clothing should be in the hamper. And so instead, after I was done telling my daughter what an amazing job she did and how proud I was of her, I walked over to where the clothing was on the floor and I playfully said, I think you forgot just one thing. And she quickly put the clothing in the hamper. I looked at her with a smile and said, my love, now it's perfect. The lesson of the spies is not that we can't talk about our challenges. It's not that we can't express what needs to be improved. It's that we shouldn't let the negative diminish any of the good in people, in situations, or in our lives, but to focus on the positive instead. I also want to clarify that using the word but isn't always bad. Sometimes it is neutral, and sometimes it can even be used in a good way. The Jewish sages made a fascinating observation that shows us how we can use the word but, that same word, in the best way possible, to transform it into positivity. 38 years after the spies gave their bad report about the land, Joshua, one of the two spies who did not participate, led the Israelites into the land of Israel. According to tradition, after Joshua entered the promised land, he composed one of the oldest Jewish prayers, one that we still say every single day. In the final lines of the prayer, Joshua wrote, Hu elokenu en od. He is our God, there is no other. Emet malkenu, in truth, he is our only God. Ephes zulato, there is nothing but him. Did you hear it? In this prayer, Joshua specifically chose to use that word Ephes again. The same word that the spies used to show the negative and to get the Israelites to think badly about the promised land. 
And it's no accident that Joshua chose to use this very same word, even though it's not commonly used, as he wrote this amazing prayer as the people of Israel were finally entering the land of Israel. By using the same word, Ephes, Joshua was showing us how to use a word in the negative and transform it into positive. When we say there is nothing, Ephes, but God, instead of taking something good and turning it into nothing, like the spies did, we can take even nothing and make it into something. When we say there's nothing but God, we're saying that it doesn't matter how difficult a situation may seem, with God, anything is possible. Even the greatest obstacles in our way are nothing compared to God. On our own, we can never overcome all of the difficulties in our lives. We are nothing without him. Because with God's help, we can overcome any challenge and defeat any enemy. This is exactly what Joshua and Caleb tried to tell the Israelites on that fateful night when they lost their faith and turned their backs on God. Listen to what Joshua and Caleb said to the people in Numbers 14, verses 7 to 9. This is what they said. The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Joshua and Caleb, they tried to tell the people that there is nothing but God, that as long as God was with them, nothing could stand before them. In Deuteronomy 1.28, we learn that the spies described the cities as being large with walls up to the sky. They exaggerated the challenge before them and underestimated God's power to help them overcome it. According to Jewish tradition, in response to this exaggeration, Joshua and Caleb told the people that even if the promised land was in heaven and they were instructed to climb up on ladders in order to reach it, with God Even that would be possible. They tried to assure the people that anything God told them to do was possible to accomplish because nothing is impossible with God. Unfortunately, the message that Joshua and Caleb tried to tell the Israelites went unheard, but that doesn't have to be the case with us. We have the benefit of learning from their mistakes and seeing how terribly they suffered when they lost faith in God. And we have the benefit of knowing that in spite of all the challenges that the spies reported on, the Israelites were actually able to capture the land because of God's help. Joshua wrote the prayer we just talked about right after the capture of Jericho, where he and the nation of Israel witnessed the walls of that heavily fortified city miraculously come tumbling down. That was God. Whenever we are faced with a challenge that seems insurmountable, we can remember the walls of Jericho and the words of Joshua's prayer, Ephes Zulato, there is nothing but God, and he will help us overcome our challenges too. I want to end with a story that I heard recently that really drives this point home. 
My friend's son came home from school one day, excited to tell her what had happened that day in school. He told her that one of the kids in his class was fighting with another boy and told him that he was a big FS, a big zero, worth nothing at all. Well, just then the teacher came in and the children told him what was going on and that one child had insulted another boy by calling him an FS, a nothing, a big zero. The teacher responded by saying, you know what? He isn't wrong. He really is an FS. He really is a zero. Then the teacher turned to the student who first called the boy an FS and said, and so are you. You're also an FS. The teacher then turned his head to each student in the room and said, so are you, and so are you, and so are you, and so am I. We're all FS. We're all zero. By now, the teacher had the attention of the whole class. Who could not imagine why their teacher was calling them all zeros? Then the teacher said, do you know what happens when you place one in front of a zero? It becomes ten. The more zeros you have, the bigger the number becomes when you add the number one to it. A lot of zeros can become one million when you place a one in front of it. The teacher continued, God is one, and when he is with us, we can be anything. In fact, the bigger our zero, the bigger our number can be. And when we have a lot of zeros together, and when we have God with us, there is no telling how great we can be. The students got the message, and I hope that for the rest of their lives, they remember that no matter how small they might feel or how big their challenges may seem, with God, they can do anything. God can, and he does, take nothing and make it into more than enough. And he can take a zero, an FS, and transform him or her into someone greater than we could ever imagine. As you go through your week, I hope you take some time to think about the ideas that we talked about today and that you implement them into your life. Where might you fall into the trap of using the word but, like the spies did, in a way that diminishes God's blessing or the people in your life? And how might you adapt the words of Joshua's prayer that there is nothing but God to the obstacles that you are called to overcome? When we take the lessons of the weekly Torah portion, the Parsha, and apply them to our lives, we are living with the times, and our lives become better because of it. Shavuot Tov, my friends, wishing you a wonderful week from here in the Holy Land. Thank you for listening to the Nourish Your Biblical Roots podcast. If you like what you have heard, visit me at mybiblicalroots.org for more of my teachings, videos, blogs, and books. You can also follow me on Instagram at yael underscore Eckstein or on Facebook at yael Eckstein. Shalom and see you next week.